0: The Lord. amen let's turn to Luke chapter 4 we'll uh, read a little bit from from there glad to have heard the word of the Lord this morning we we need to Make sure that when we hear the word of the Lord, that we don't do it partially. The Lord knows sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's uh, something that we can't process right away. We don't do it immediately. We have to be careful that we don't delay. But uh, the Lord knows what it takes for our hearts and minds to turn around, to process it, and then to put it into practice. And then we need to make sure that we do it fully as he expects of us to do. Amen. So, with that, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. reading through to Revelation chapter 21. No, no, not, not reading that far. <laughs> Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And we'll skip a few verses and we'll get to about verse 28 or 29. And he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up and as his custom was he went into the synagogue on the sabbath day and stood up for to read and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah when he opened the book he found the place where it was written and he read and verse 20 says and he closed the book and he gave it to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him Verse 22, and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which came out of his mouth. And verse 28, and all day in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath, anger. Something welled up in them and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the edge of the hill. Nazareth was on top of a hill where the city was built as they used to do to people who were troublemakers and throw them over the edge that they might cast him down headlong but he passing through the midst of them went his way and came down to Capernaum a city of Galilee and taught them there on the Sabbath days Lord Jesus we know that your word Lord is for our instruction Lord Jesus we know that your word, Lord, has an intention and a purpose, and we pray, Lord, that you would bring about the intended purpose in our hearts, in our minds, of everybody that is in this place today. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to meet, and Lord, to, to understand, Lord, your word, in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. This passage, this account, this section of Jesus' ministry was, took place at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus was a minister for about three and a half years, and uh, it began when he was baptized in the river of Jordan. And then, soon after that, he was led by the Spirit into wilderness. And after he came back from the wilderness, he beca- he began his ministry. He called the disciples, and there were the twelve disciples called his area of. Um, ministry or service was in an area of israel which was to the north of, of jerusalem and there uh, he was at a wedding and the first we know that the first um, public thing that jesus was involved in that people heard about him was that he was at a wedding and turned water into wine and people took note and then after that he lived in capernaum and in capernaum he ministered, and then we hear that he went to Jerusalem, and there a man, a teacher, a Pharisee, came to him in the evening who he had heard something about him and explained to him, we know about that in John chapter 3, uh, what it was about being born again. And then when he, he was on his way back through Samaria, he saw the woman at the well, and then there was that understanding and revelation of who he is. Then he returned to Galilee, in Galilee, there was a nobleman's son who was sick, and Jesus healed him. And then he came to Nazareth. Nazareth was the place where his father and mother, Joseph and Mary, as we remember the Christmas story, and that's where he grew up. Apart from going to Jerusalem and Egypt, he spent most of his youth in Nazareth. And he, so a number of things took place before he came to Nazareth. And people already knew about him, they knew what he had said, and they had heard him preach, they had heard the teaching. And when he came to Nazareth, it was common in Jewish synagogues throughout the land that there would be a reading. In fact, there would be seven readings, the the Levite, the priest, and then members of the congregation could stand and read. And so there was delivered to Jesus the book of Isaiah. And he read from that section and he he read the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty, to free them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave to the minister and sat down common there in those days they weren't standing like we do now common thing now but uh they were sitting down explaining and everyone looked at him and i think they began to realize this prophecy this what he read from isaiah that they recognized was a godly inspired inspired source they felt something and uh he said this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? And they started to begin to put things together. That they had seen him, they hear, I heard accounts here and there. Is this, could it be? And all be him witness and wondered at gracious words. The way, the manner in which he spoke and the power that he had. And they said, but they said, is this Not Joseph's son. We know who Joseph is. Verse twenty-eight. And when they, when they all in the synagogue heard these things, they were filled with wrath. We didn't really get to, to hear what that thing was, but first of all, what's wrath? I mean, wrath is pretty severe. Wrath is is a pretty high-level anger. To the extent that from being gracious to him and looking to hear what he's got to say, something had changed and the attitude was completely different and they're ready to strangle him. They're ready to get rid of him. Wrath is anger that sp- expresses itself in a desire to ritually punish somebody. To get a hold of something to put it in its place. Why? Why, do, why is there wrath? Why does it happen? Wrath does not tend to doing right. Ever seen or heard or experienced wrath leading to the right things? Wrath tends not to please God, but wrath, anger, attempts to deny and to cover some core issue and in fact to do the opposite of, of what is right our anger reveals a lot about what we value getting angry at injustice is a good thing it's right God gets angry at injustices God Jesus got angry at the religious leaders jesus was angry at the people in jerusalem outside of the the temple who were making advantage and making sales in front of the temple of god instead of using it as a temple as, as a place of prayer god was angry because his value was in the temple of being recognized as a place of worship of of Relationship with him, and not as a money-making exercise. As well as valuable as the exchanges were, they should have taken place elsewhere. That's righteous anger. It's a g- righteous. It is right anger. It wasn't right to do those things. What self-righteous anger? Self-righteous anger is acting as though I would never do such a thing. It shows that. I'm over this and I'm I've got this under control see our anger is not trivial or inconsequential that means there are consequences what we get angry about shows what we want to protect it shows what we love it shows what we want to guard what we give high value to What we get angry about really shows what we really love. Righteous anger leads to measured, appropriate, and controlled action. Self-righteous anger is wrong. It sees others as lower, as contemptible, as annoying, and it leads to a little bit of discomfort leads to uh, maybe fights leads to bitterness envy whatever you can think of that's not really positive and it's not edifying doesn't build it tends to pull down think of a time last time when you were angry about something what was it about were you self-controlled were you out of control did you lose it Loving something is the very root of our anger. Loving something as um, innocent, innocuous, you know, not, doesn't seem to be harmful, as wanting to do well in something, or wanting to have some situation under control, or wanting to do it right, to do it well, it's is not a bad desire, but if we want to control it, then it is a problem. And it is why anger is such a big issue to God. Because our anger shows what we value, what we evaluate, what we even worship. Something, or somewhat, or someone more than Him. So what were the Jews in the synagogue angry about? We read, And they all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, keeping in mind that they had heard of all the things that have happened. They knew a little bit about what, who he was because he grew up there. That was probably the church he used to attend quite regularly. And they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? And Jesus' answer to them was, He said to them, You will surely say unto me this, Proverb, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. He could sense, feel their thoughts, and he expressed them. That's what he said. You will say, heal yourself, and do whatever you have done elsewhere, do here as well. And he continued to say, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country but i tell you of a truth many widows were in israel in the days of elijah when the heaven was shut up 3 years and 6 months and a great famine was throughout all land but unto none of them elijah was sent except unto zarephath a city of sidon unto a woman that was a widow and many lepers were in israel in the time of elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. That's all he said. And then, all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Situation had changed in the space of a few minutes, a few words. What happened? What was Jesus saying? First of all, he said, you will surely say unto me, this physician, heal yourself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. What he's saying is, you have some familiarity with me. And uh, you're not going to accept me because of the familiarity. All bore him witness and spoke, and that he spoke well. They commended, and they were listening to him. They wondered at his gracious words. But they didn't believe in him because... Hang on. When we hear something, we okay. go, where's this coming from? What? What's the context of this? What did he hear? What did she hear? What were they part of? Oh, yeah, we want to put it into context. The, oh, this is Joseph's son. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, we know that story. Yeah. Did you hear about that? Mary and Joseph? I'm not sure or what Jesus' background is really. I mean, maybe he wasn't Joseph's son at all. Um, he and where did he go to uh, which education did he get where did he get this, these words from should we really be listening to what he's saying this is Joseph's son do we really want to value him putting into context not really continuing to listen to the words but trying to you know, put it into a box should pigeonhole whatever you want to call it trying to work out what he is it is very possible that there are very many listeners and admirers of Jesus' teaching of godly preaching even even in in churches today but they are admirers of the words and not the meaning and the intent behind it's possible to be admirer adm- an admirer of good preaching but to not be a true christian Isn't this Joseph's son? What does it imply? It implies that he's illegitimate. It implies that he doesn't have much credibility. It implies that uh, maybe he doesn't really have much to say. The thing is, most of Jesus' miracles before and after were cures. If you think about it, they were cures. And they were thinking if he cured people elsewhere and he comes from this town, we've got people who are sick here. Let's see some people who are, let's see, let's see what he can do here. Let's see who can be healed here. Let's see, let's see what he can do. Why shouldn't the people in their town be healed just as well as in other places when they heard about it? But you see, the point that I missed was that the miracles and the cures were designed to cure people of unbelief. Not necessarily the physical. That was a side effect and a very positive one. But it was about turning people's hearts to God. The point of those miracles, cures, whatever it was, was to turn people's hearts towards God. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, so much talked about, do also hear. We want our lame, our blind, our sick, our, our uh, lepers, we want uh, all of them to be helped. That's the key thing that they were looking for. They thought that they were just as worthy of any other place. The familiarity bred contempt. We've heard that familiarity breeds contempt. We don't tend to value the things that we become accustomed to. We can't see, we can't put up with giving honor, or credibility to those who we know and we've known where they've come from because they're just like us. What did Jesus say next? So so that's what Jesus said. You say, heal yourself. But I say, you're not going to accept me because you are familiar with me. The next two things he says, he gives them two examples of the two most famous prophets in Old Testament history. He gives them an example of prophets under whom miracles took place. Elijah, Elijah was a powerful prophet of God. And what does it say? I tell you of a truth, many were those were in Israel in the di- days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three days and six months, when there was great famine throughout all the land. There was no food, people couldn't get anything to eat he was kept in the brook with a raven bringing food to him and then when that ran out God sent him to this widow in Sarepta where's that it's not in Israel it's in a place called you've heard of Tyre and Sidon today's Lebanon back then it was in Israel still not Israel today this woman was not a Jew she was not an Israeli And God sends Elijah to her. He asks to make me some bread. And then she says, I've got just enough for me and my son, and I'll make it and I'll die, but I'll make some for you first. And then she's kept for until the end of the famine. It wasn't a Jew that was healed. It wasn't a Jew for whom the miracle was for him. It wasn't a Jew that was kept. the mercy that God showed to this woman who was a stranger at the time of the land of the famine in the land showed that God was a God to the fatherless he was a he took care of the widow and he took care and he had mercy even to a Gentile that was of a prickly point, one or two. Another point, he says unto her, unto them, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the subsequent prophet. And none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. Elisha cleansed Naaman the Syrian of leprosy, he was a Syrian. He was an foreigner. He was an enemy to Israel. There were many lepers in Israel. In fact, Father Gavin spoke not long ago about four lepers finding out some food outside of a city and then running back to the city to tell people that there's some food out there because the Syrians have ran away. Elisha was in the town because he spoke about it because he said, it's only going to be a day before the price of wheat and flour drops down and and you'll have plenty because the Assyrians ran away. But none of those lepers were cleansed by Elisha. Not one. And Naaman the Syrian was. None None of them had the faith to seek out the prophet as Naaman did. Sure, Naaman struggled. Naaman didn't want to follow the instructions of dipping in the water seven times, stinking Jordan River. I mean, I could have done it back in my rivers, back in... But he resigned, submitted, capitulated. He sought out, he went to seek out. He didn't hear what he wanted to hear, but eventually he submitted. You see, Jesus often met with faith greater with the Gentiles than the faith in Israel. And Jesus mentions both of these examples to show you people expecting me to and see something happen here because you've heard about me. But I'm telling you, you're not giving me credibility. You're not interested in who I am. You just want to see a miracle performed. And you know what? God knows. And by the way, we can see in the past that God actually does things even for Gentiles. Like that. They could have said the same thing to Elijah. Physician, heal yourself. They could have said the same thing to Elisha. Physician, heal thyself. But he didn't. And he helped Syrian. Jesus, we know, performed miracles before and after Nazareth. But not in his own town. Between other Israelites and between Gentiles. Because there were prejudices in their hearts against him in Nazareth where he grew up. He declined to take part and did nothing extraordinary in Nazareth. You see... A short time later, there was a Syrophoenician woman. She's not part of Israel. Her daughter is very ill, grievously waxed by the devil. And she looks to him, and he looks at her. You are not part of Israel. And she gets really angry. No. She goes, you're right, Lord. I'm not a Jew, I don't deserve this, it's not for me. But if I could just get a little bit, just a little bit, that would be enough to provide what's needed. She knew she had no claim to that, she wasn't part of that domain, but she had a little bit of faith. These are the observations from God about people who can see beyond the present and beyond the words and beyond the actions. You can see into the heart. And the one who sees this, or it is of whom it is said, towards the end of the book in Revelation, is the great throne is there and John is say that there's no one that has the, the strength to, or the ability or, or has given, been given the authority to open the keys. But then we hear that there is one who has been given the authority. And he will redeem by his blood, and is redeemed by his blood out of every kindred, every tongue, and every people, and every nation. Which means that it is available to more than just a select group. We read later, Jesus said, "For these people's heart, talking about this people he was speaking to, largely around Israel, for these people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. They got ears, and stuffs going in, but it's actually not doing much. <laughs> um, and their eyes." They can see. They've closed them. Why? Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and that would then cause a change and they would then realize that they've got to do something and then they've got to be converted and that I would actually heal them. So they're preventing... Him from doing that in the first place. The reason why, in the space of a few verses, they go from, What's Jesus got to say? to, Get this man out of here, let's throw him off the cliff, is because he exposed their hearts. He identified the core issue, just as God knew, like we heard this morning. About Cain. Cain was wroth. Cain was angry. Why was he angry? He was angry because his offering was not accepted. He placed his value in something else. Saul was angry because, as well as much as he was a leader of the nation, and he was credited. To victories over thousands of people in battles David was given credit for victories over ten thousands in battles and he got really angry about that Haman was angry because Mordecai wouldn't go yes Haman yes Haman but he walked past as he was just like anybody else All these things show that these people are expecting something else to happen. Because they didn't get it, they got cross. Their anger revealed that they placed value in something else, instead of acknowledging that God, in general, in this particular case in Nazareth, Jesus had identified the core issue. And going, Jesus, you're right. We haven't given you credit. We were thinking this is just for us, but actually, we now realize that if we look back, God's ways of being, including others, we've made wrong. Like the Seraphimician woman, yes, I'm not part of this, but I have a little bit of faith, and I do believe that you have mercy on my daughter. Instead of admitting and seeking to correct, they became angry. Because Jesus' reply crossed their expectation. They assigned a greater value to something else. Let's see what he's going to do. They didn't assign him the value of a redeemer, of a savior, of the spirit of the Lord his me. They didn't assign to him the anointing, the preaching, the healing, the deliverance the recovering of blind, the setting of liberty to the the bruised, and the preaching of the acceptable year of the Lord. They didn't place that against him. When things don't go according to plan, what is our response? The thing is, God knows. God is in control. He cares. He loves and he's closely involved in the smallest things like finding the keys for a little old lady who couldn't find them herself. When we know that he is in control, that he loves, that he cares, that he's closely involved with things for, we're in a small group, for Sister Rosemary. But he's closely involved with things for Sister Linda. He's closely involved for Deb. Thought, he knows about the people that are going to be here today. When we know that he's in control, would we get angry? He's in control, and his way—he knows better. It's like a little kid getting cross at dad or mum when mum and dad know better. But if we accept that mum and dad know better, we don't get cross. So knowing this, knowing that God is in control, and that no matter that people turned up, people didn't turn up. That made me look bad. They said this about me. That's God. It's not in your control. It's in His control. Knowing this will change the way we respond to situations and to people. When something doesn't go according to our ideal plan, When we're tempted to get angry and frustrated, when His plans interfere with our plans, when His desires undermine our desires, know that He has a better plan. We don't need to get angry when we don't get what we want because God knows what we need. We don't need to get angry when someone insults us because God's love and care for us is of much higher significance. If you sing that little Bugs Bunny cartoon? There's a big dog, there's a little dog, and there's a little dog jumping around the big dog. And push him out of the way. It's insignificant. People say something, something happens. God places much greater value in you we don't need to get concerned about it. We don't need to get angry, frustrated when life doesn't satisfy. Because in Him, we have an abundant life. Anger is really an expression to be in charge. Self-righteous anger is not positive. It doesn't lead to positive actions, thoughts, words. Whatever, but it helps us, it reminds us that gaining control is actually we should don't worry about it, it's helpless. Let it go, look to Him, delight in His control, and know that He's got it in hand. You know, we've gone through experiences, and the more we hold on to it, the harder it is, the more we're letting will go it's better we as we love Jesus we begin to understand what right anger looks like the things that make God angry will inform us will make us angry and thus we will know what pleases him because is the opposite familiarity coming to a conclusion we don't need to be long familiarity lack of honor will limit what Jesus can do in my life and in my circumstances because I just expect him to do something instead of valuing him for who he is. When my core is exposed, if I don't place him first, there's going to be misplaced anger. And I know that Jesus deals with the individual. And he knows the thoughts beyond the words and the actions. Within that crowd, in the synagogue, maybe they were all like that. Maybe there was one or two that didn't. But throughout the nation of Israel and the adjacent nation of Egypt and Lebanon, Moab, which was actually related, and Ammon, and uh, Syria, and Assyria, and other lands beyond. Turkey, minor Asia, minor whatever it was in the area, God actually spoke with, dealt and touched the hearts of individuals who were not part of Israel. You see, Jesus deals with the individual. He knows the thoughts beyond the actions and the words. Very early in the book, this book, we have recorded that God says through one of his preachers, prophets to a king, he says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth, seeking uh, to to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. No mention of nationality. Whose heart is perfect... is." If your heart, Syrophoenician woman, is heart towards God, He will deal with you. Samaritan woman, deal with you. Syrian man, soldier, enemy, He will deal with you. Provide you healing. When our heart is perfect towards Him, He, and if we allow, if we allow Him to deal with it, He will. He will. We have another example of, deal, of God dealing at a more finite level when Jesus was born just earlier and his parents brought him to Jerusalem into the temple to bring a sacrifice and to honour the Lord to thank him for the son that had been born to them and that man who had been attending in that temple Simeon and he saw him he said praise God now my eyes have seen and he says of Jesus who says to God You have prepared a light to lighten who? The Gentiles. Simeon sees Jesus as a baby and he says, Now now I can depart in peace because you have sent a light to lighten. That means to reveal. It means revelation. That means to give understanding to the Gentiles. And for the glory of your people in Israel, if you're looking for enlightenment, Jesus is the real enlightenment. We go, we don't, we can go to the almost the beginning of the book in Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, the nation of Israel leaving Egypt and God taking them out into the place of Canaan. When they left Egypt, there was a mixed multitude with them, they weren't just. Israel. It wasn't the twelve sons of Jacob, but there were others with them. They were foreigners and strangers. And not long for them to leave, they had to go through this thing of the Passover. And it says, no foreigner or stranger can ever part in the Passover. So how did that happen? Well, it actually says, if we look a little bit more closely, that if you are a foreigner or a stranger and you align yourself with Israel and you're prepared to do what Israel does, that is, if you're a male, you'll be circumcised, then you can take part in the Passover and the angel of the Lord will pass over you and you'll be able to go with them. Why are we saying this? At the beginning, when God was taking the Israelites out of Egypt, he made provision for others as well. And there they are in Nazareth going, Who's he talking about? He's pointing out Elijah. Pointing out Elijah. This is, this is just for us. This is just for us Jews. But they were, hard, they were very much mistaken. You see, they misunderstood and I don't want to get into it too much, they misunderstood that it wasn't circumcision that made them Israel. You see, to be circumcised, and the males understand this more, means that you're exposed. But it's not about being exposed physically. It's about being exposed in the heart. You see, Paul writes in Romans, as we coming to the very last thing, a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, that is, in your demonstration, or one who he is circumcised, which is outward, which is physical. No person is a Jew, no, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision, replaced for exposure, the exposure is Circumcision of the heart, exposure of the heart by the Spirit. How does this tie in? When they heard those words those in the synagogue in Nazareth, their hearts were exposed. And they claimed, we are gods because we are Jews. We are circumcised. We are part of the group. But they missed the point because the exposure is an exposure of heart. And when Jesus shows things in your heart, are you prepared to do something about it? As we heard this morning, as we hear any time, whenever we hear God's Word preached, are we prepared to be exposed and our thoughts, our attitudes, to be changed? To accept that I'm not in control, but He is that I don't have the way but he does that it's I'm not just expecting a click of the fingers but I'm expecting a relationship and regardless of what happens he's got it in control the reason why they got angry is because they tried to hide the real issue in the house but if we are prepared to be exposed we are prepared to allow him to do a work will go, Jesus, we, like a Syrophoenician woman, yes, we expected you to come in here and click your fingers and perform a miracle or three and see these people, but we realized that we didn't give you the honor. Forgive us and help us to honor you and help us to submit to you and help us to follow your ways. If we have that approach, then he will lead us And we can learn from our reactions what our proper response should be. Praise the Lord.